welcome back. I'm your host, Kelsey Sumnick. Happy World Wildlife Day. Today is March 3rd, 2017, which is a day set aside by the United Nations to raise awareness around gathering together to address ongoing major threats to wildlife around the world. This is a result of the United Nations General Assembly signing the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, which is, uh, the acronym for that is C-I-T-E-S, CITES. If you'd like to learn more, I encourage you to check on Twitter at Wildlife Day and World Wildlife Day on Facebook. World Wildlife Day has two mottos. Do one thing today to help protect the world's wildlife and listen to the young voices. Of course, that's what this podcast is all about, encouraging more diverse voices in international relations. So in honor of World Wildlife Day, we're going to do a repost of our Introduction to Climate Diplomacy episode with Brianna Croft. Climate affects wildlife and Brianna's interview really gives us kind of an overview of what climate diplomacy is and how to get involved. Brianna Kraft works for the International Institute for Environment and Development, which is based in London, but works with some of the world's most vulnerable people to help them strengthen their voice in the decision-making arenas that affect them. I spoke with Brianna in October 2016 before she was headed to the Marrakesh Climate Change Conference, where much of the key dialogue is happening at those conferences and Marrakesh was also the first meeting after the historic signing of the Paris Agreements. Additionally, we are going to continue to discuss climate diplomacy and all sorts of conservation diplomacy, nature diplomacy, National Park Service diplomacy. It's going to be awesome. All of this for Earth Day 2017. So tune in around April 22nd to learn more about how we can use our skills as diplomats to help safeguard the harmony of the world that we all know and love. If you are feeling impassioned about these issues, I am here to say, please speak up, use your voice, figure out where you want to contribute. It's time for us to get to work. I hope you enjoy this interview with Brianna Kraft. As always, more information about all of this can be found at theforeignpolicyproject.org. Our world is changing every day, so it's time to understand what is climate diplomacy and why it's important. To help us with that, we have Brianna Kraft. She's a climate change researcher at the International Institute for Environment and Development in London. Hi, Brianna. Hi. Welcome to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. For the very basic beginner who is just being introduced to this topic, can you summarize for us what is climate diplomacy? How would you define it? Right. So the simplest explanation for climate diplomacy is climate diplomacy is how governments talk to each other and work together to tackle the issue of climate change. So when we talk about climate diplomacy, we're talking about how governments are integrating their concerns about climate change into their existing foreign policy or their existing ways of managing international relations. And climate change is a huge topic. So 
um, even though we summarize it down to climate diplomacy. Um, when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about how nations work together to reduce greenhouse gas emissions that cause climate change, but we're also talking about how nations adapt to our changing climate. So adapt to sea level rise, adapt to hotter temperatures, adapt to really strong storms like hurricanes that are affecting many, many nations. So how do we, how do governments work together to deal with all of this? So just to say practically, uh, that's kind of the definition of climate diplomacy, but it breaks down into kind of three main interactions that we see um, nations take on. So first, climate diplomacy can be bilateral. So it can be how a single nation relates to one other. Um, and with climate change, perhaps the best example of this um, is President Obama and Chinese President Xi Jinping have made several joint announcements about climate change over the past two years in the run-up to negotiating the Paris Agreement. The most recent one was in September when they jointly announced that they would ratify the Paris Agreement. Because the US and China account for so much of the global emissions, their joint announcement that they would ratify the Paris Agreement really pushed up the timeline for when the Paris Agreement will enter into force. So when we see President Obama and President Xi Jinping, the US and China making announcements together, that's kind of the best example we have of bilateral climate diplomacy. The other kind of practical way climate diplomacy happens is through multilateral diplomacy. Um, for climate change, this really looks like the UN climate change negotiations. So multilateral diplomacy involves more than two states, so more than bilateral diplomacy. Um, so for the multilateral climate change negotiations that happen under the UN, that involves 195 nations basically all nations on earth. So that's quite a big space, but there are some smaller um, multilateral forums on climate change specifically. Um, two that come to mind are the Petersburg Climate Dialogue, that's Chancellor Merkel's kind of climate change discussion forum, um, where she invites maybe 20 nations to come together um, to try and reach some agreement about climate change issues. The other is President Obama's Major Economies Forum, and again, that's a smaller kind of multilateral forum about climate change that he hosts every year. And then the last example I think I'd give would be that of summits. So a summit is a meeting where heads of state are invited. So this is just presidents, prime ministers, people who head governments. And the biggest example we've seen of this recently was in Paris um, for the adoption of the Paris Agreement. So. The French welcomed over 100 prime ministers and presidents to France to talk specifically about climate change. So climate diplomacy is a big issue, but it happens kind of, and we can break it down into these kind of three practical kind of slots of how negotiations happen. One really cool thing is that you are very shortly on your way to Marrakesh, Morocco for the Conference of the Parties number 22. So this is going to be the the following conference from where the Paris Agreements were made. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So the next UN climate change negotiations will happen in Marrakesh starting on the 7th of November. And do they happen every year annually? Yes. So under the UN, climate change is officially negotiated at least twice a year. So once in Bonn, Germany, where the UNFCCC, um, the UN climate change headquarters are. Um, and then a second time for the annual COP, 
um, which last year was in Paris and this time is in Marrakesh. Um, so those move throughout the globe. Is the COP where the negotiations happen? Whereas like a, a, a regular conference might just be where there's lots of dialogue. No. So the COP is the actual negotiating body. So the conference of the parties refers to the conference of the parties to the convention on climate change. So the COP is the highest ranked negotiating body to decide on climate change issues. It's kind of like in the UN when they have like the UN General Assembly, it's the same thing, but for the COP, for the, the parties to the convention on climate change. So at the UN General Assembly, you have, it's everyone who's a signatory to the UN. The COP is everyone who's a signatory to this convention on climate change. I see. And are the parties involved? Is it all United of the United Nations or is it a smaller number of countries that have decided to participate in climate change negotiations? So for the COP, it's 195, which is basically universal. There are a couple of states which have different status, like Palestine, for instance, is a signatory to the convention, but they're not a state in the UN. So there's like, there are like two or three countries like that where it's a bit strange. So we do say everyone, or we usually say 195 parties, which is most every nation on earth. What is on the horizon? What will be on the agenda that you'll be working on in Marrakesh? So this will be the next big conference um, to negotiate kind of what we do now, now that we have adopted the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, which was the first truly universal, legally binding agreement in climate change we've ever had. Um, so we're in very exciting times. And just recently, um, the agreement was ratified. So it was signed by over 55 countries accounting for more than 55% of global emissions. So it's actually entered into force much, much sooner than we expected. Um, so Marrakesh is our first opportunity to kind of sort out the rules and procedures for getting this agreement operationalized. So it's very exciting. Indeed. Um, I love your blog post on uh, the IIED website. It's called Climate Diplomacy, A Beginner's Guide. What made you, kind of what inspired you to write this? Um, yeah, so what made me write the blog post was kind of talking to my colleagues in the Institute and just realizing that climate diplomacy happens in so many different places. And so we kind of needed a way of breaking things down um, that not only we could understand, but we could share a common language when we talk to people outside of our organization. Um, so we really tried to, in simplest terms, define where we see climate diplomacy happening um, and give practical examples for the forums that it comes in or the, the pieces that it comes in. In your blog post, uh, especially when you're talking about summits, I love the term that you created. It's called symmetry, where symmetry matters. <laughs> Can you explain to us about that? Does that mean that there is kind of an ideal environment in which for a climate agreement to become birthed? Yeah, so when we were talking about summits and how symmetry matters, um, we were really thinking about kind of the last time 
the world tried to negotiate an agreement on climate change, both in Copenhagen in 2009. And this was actually a failed summit. So in Copenhagen, um, they invited prime ministers and presidents, heads of state um, to Copenhagen to try and come up with an agreement on climate change. But what happened was the group um, that was involved in actually negotiating what this agreement would look like were really the, the major players, um, kind of US, China, European nations in a single room. Um, and they negotiated something, but when they presented it to primarily the developing countries who were left outside of the room, it wasn't accepted and thus the agreement wasn't adopted. So we were, when we were talking about summits, we were really talking about how symmetry matters and how, especially for climate change, when it's developing countries who will feel the worst effects of climate change, they need to be rightly involved in the negotiation of any kind of agreement. So when you have summits, symmetry in the number of people and who they represent around the table really matters. And in Paris, when we had over 100 leaders who were all involved in the negotiation of the agreement was where we actually had a successful uh, agreement come out of those negotiations. What is your role, Brianna, and what does the International Institute for Environment and Development do? Yeah, um, I am a researcher in the climate change group of the International Institute for Environment and Development. So IIED is um, an NGO that focuses on sustainable development um, and seeing that through from kind of local priorities on to global conversations, um, climate change being an example. So I work in the climate change group and I am part of the team that focuses on these global conversations. Um, so my role is working with a team to support the least developed countries group. So the least developed countries are the 48 poorest countries on earth. Um, they're classified that way by the UN. And in the UN climate change negotiations, they work together as a group or negotiating block and they have joint positions that they bring to the negotiating table. Um, and my team, the team I work with at IAD, we work to support the chair of the least developed countries group. Um, we provide research and legal support to him um, and his core team of negotiators so that when they come to the negotiations, they can have uh, the strongest positions possible. Wow. So badass. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your own career path. How did you initially know that you wanted to work specifically on climate diplomacy? <laughs> well, the honest answer to that question is I didn't know that. <laughs> but I started, my career started um, as a student of architecture. Um, I went to school at the University of Washington in Seattle to study architecture, um, and I, my focus was on environmental design. I wanted to learn how to design buildings that worked as efficiently as possible with the natural landscape, which is what I found interesting in architecture. I grew up in a passive solar house that my parents designed um, when it was cool to do that kind of thing in the 80s. Um, and I always was really inspired by it. Um, but then when I got to UW and started learning about environmental design, we were taught about kind of the big global environmental problems such as climate change. And I still remember the first time I ever heard about climate change as a sophomore at UW. And I really couldn't believe that humanity was facing such a huge threat of our own making and all the things we needed to do to combat it. And the more I learned about climate change, the more 
interested and inspired I was to take action. And because the problem is so global in nature, no one country can fix climate change all on its own. Um, it just led me to international relations and the discussion of climate change in the UN, um, which I continued to study as, as a master's student. Um, and yeah, just got more and more involved and wound up working for uh, an organization that looks at international climate agreements and works with countries in them. Very cool. How can we stay in touch with your work? I know I mentioned your blog post. Do you blog regularly? And what are your next projects that we should keep an eye out for? Um, yeah, I try to blog regularly. I have another blog coming up uh, just before the negotiations in Marrakesh. So look out for that at IAD's website, IIED.org. Um, I welcome a wide readership. Um, and yeah, I think to stay in touch with kind of the negotiations, there are plenty of um, websites, particularly the UN's website on the negotiations, but also um, check in with IIED's website for kind of more of our work um, supporting the negotiators, but then also our national and local level work on supporting communities in LDC and other poor developing countries as they adapt to climate change. What advice would you provide for young women who are interested in pursuing a similar career path? And especially if someone has a passion for climate diplomacy, where should they begin? My advice for women who want to go into climate diplomacy would first be to be bold and to sec second to realize that you're needed in this realm. Women are disproportionately disadvantaged by climate change and we're underrepresented in the UN talks to address climate change, which is very unfortunate. Um, women in the UN climate change negotiations, women account for about 30% of national delegations, which is much less than half, and we really need to be better represented at this level. Um, a kind of beacon for hope is that the UN climate change negotiations have been overseen by women since 2010. Um, the executive secretaries of the UN uh, climate change branch um, have been Christiana Figueres from Costa Rica, who recently was replaced by Patricia Espinosa of Mexico. So. There's some very, very powerful women heading these global talks. Um, so even though we're underrepresented in the negotiations, there is space for us and there are advocates for women's participation in this. Um, so you are desperately needed and also encouraged to engage. Engaging can be difficult. Obviously, global forums aren't the easiest to access, but there are many organizations like UN Women, um, IAED and other kind of 350.org and lots of NGO groups who are looking to represent and take women um, to the negotiations so that we can be heard.